Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And, you know, this is the time of year where a lot of people are feeling alone, okay? Uh, I don't know if you've ever been here. You're going through a rough time. You're going through a difficult time, and you feel like you're the only person Uh, going through what you're going through. You're all alone in the universe, especially during the holiday seasons, right? It's snowing outside, and a lot of people like snow, but a lot of people don't like snow. Things look kind of overcast, and, you know, a lot of people in the holidays go through a period of, of depression. And if you've ever been there, you may have been wrestling with this thought. You may have gone something like this. You may have said, God, you know, if there is a God, are you there? Are you with me? Do you care? And if you've ever had any kind of thought like that, then Matthew chapter 1 is for you today. Because as we dive into Matthew chapter 1, we're going to discover three ways that Jesus is announcing that he is with us in Matthew chapter 1. We serve a God who is with us. And so I want to invite you now to bow your heads with me as we pray and dive into this message. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your presence. Oh, as the song so beautifully sung by these precious young people, how great are you, God. Oh, God, we want to lift up our hearts in worship. We want to lift up our minds in worship as we now hear your word. We want to, we want to lift up our lives in worship to ascribe worth to you who alone is worthy of worship. And so, God, now, please, we invite the Holy Spirit, to be here, who's already been present, but in a special way now. Prick our hearts, touch our hearts, draw us closer to Jesus as we discover today that you are with us. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, amen. Maybe you can capture the scene with me now. There is a a couple, and the husband is away, maybe uh, in the military. And, you know, this is now in your mind, this is before... Facebook and texting and emails, so they would actually write a letter. That may sound foreign to many of us today. (laughs) Write a letter of correspondence to that person that you love. And, you know, the letters would come in and just pour in from that loved one. And, you know, if you've ever written or even received a letter from a loved one, and as you're reading that letter, you know it's that person that you love because as you're reading what they're saying, you're getting a picture in your mind of the character of the person that you know. And it can almost feel as you're reading that letter that it feels like that person is right there with you talking to you. Amen? And so just get this in your mind that this person, this, maybe, it's the, maybe it's the wife and she's there and the one night before she goes to bed she says, hey, I'm just going to go through the letters and, and she's reading the letters and the funny things that he's sharing and his experiences as she's reading. It just, the tears start to flow because she just feels like you know, I haven't seen him in so long, and it's, it's like he's here with me right now. But maybe that same night as she's going over 
the letters that he's written, the door just kind of opens almost so softly that she doesn't even realize that it's, that it's opening. And, and there he is. Surprise visit as she's reading the letter. And she discovers something that we're going to discover today that the children of Israel, particularly the Jews, discovered at this time is that though they had a written word, God was closer than they thought. You see, this period between Malachi in your Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament in Matthew is a period of 400 years. It's interesting that that's actually the same amount of time that they were enslaved in Egypt. And in this period of 400 years, some would call it the intertestament period. It could almost feel as if God was giving them the silent treatment. You ever felt that? You're in a relationship and you're not talking? You see, it had been 400 years since God had spoken to his people, given a revelation through his prophets. And in your Bible, Malachi is the last prophetic word that they have coming from the Lord. And so after the first hundred years, no prophetic word. After the second hundred years, no prophetic word. Third, uh, the three hundredth year, no prophetic word. The four hundredth year, God, where are you? Uh, is he going to fulfill the promises that he made, the covenant promises he made with our fathers and primarily the, the promise of the Messiah that he would come? They had all kind of ideas in their mind as to what that coming should look like. They were anticipating the first coming of Messiah. And they had expectations as to what that should look like. And God is trying to let them know through what we're getting ready to un unpack now, I'm actually closer than you think. You see, they, they, the bride, you see, God's people, they, they, they had his word and they could have gone through the prophecies and pour over what God said and what he was promising. But already, almost like a sneak attack, God was closer than they thought. And so Matthew, as he now begins to open up this story of Jesus, you see, the Gospel of Matthew, even though it's the first gospel you encounter in your New Testament, is not actually the first gospel that was written. The first gospel that was written was the Gospel of Mark. Mark was a companion. John Mark, you remember, and maybe the, and if you've read in the, in the story of Acts, John Mark was the companion of Peter, we discover later on in the New Testament. So John Mark is actually, as Peter is going and preaching about the Christ event, about the Christ story, John Mark is writing it down and capturing the story of Jesus, and he compiles it into what we have, the Gospel of Mark. So then why is the Gospel of Matthew the first account of, this, of the Jesus story that you find in your Bible? Well, it's because of that first genealogy, that, that family line, that family tree. You encounter a lot of familiar names there from the Old Testament, don't you? As you read there in Matthew chapter 1, it begins this way. In Matthew chapter 1, if you're there, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says this. It says, the book of the genealogy, that's the family line or family tree, of Jesus Christ, the son of David, Here go, there's a name right there, and the son of Abraham. And then verse 2, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Right away, as you're, you're kind of, as a Jewish Christian, because Levi Matthew was one of the followers of Jesus, he was a Jewish follower of Jesus Christ, and 
there in, in, in Judea. And so if you are a Jewish Christian or if you are a Jew considering the claims of Christianity, as you encounter this now, this story coming from him, whether you were hearing it as it was often shared orally with people or if you were reading it as in the letter form, you go, wait a minute, I recognize some important names here. You see, if this guy's going to be the Messiah, well, he has to come from the line. He has to come from, from Abraham, right? The promise was made, Abraham, in your seed, all nations of the earth shall be blessed. So he has to come from the line of Abraham. But wait a minute, I, I, I see he's the son of David. That's right, that's right, the covenant made with David. He has to be a king that comes through the line of David, through Judah, right? So already your ears are perking up. And then now you go, okay, that's good. And then you hear some of these names like Isaac and, and, and Jacob and, and, and further on. And you go, oh, yeah, yeah, that, 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 that's right. That, that should be how I expect the Messiah to come. But then you run into some problems as you start going through this genealogy because you see, Matthew is trying to let you know this is the guy. The one that you heard about that was doing all those miracles and everything. I, I, I need to, right off the bat, before I dive into how he came, I need to tell you right up, this is, this is the family line of this guy. So, so follow some of these key names. But as you're going through it, you discover something a little uncomfortable for you if you're a Jewish, particularly male Jewish reader or hearer. You come across four female names in the genealogy of Jesus in this chapter. You see, most genealogies, particularly focused on in a patriarchal society, the males were usually listed in the genealogy. But it wasn't just that there were four females that were listed in this genealogy, but there were four females that had you been a Jew, you would have raised your eyebrow and said, wait a minute, uh, they're in the family line of the Messiah? You see, the first one you, you, you encounter, you ready, is a prostitute. She's in the family line of Messiah. Her name is, her name is Rahab. Of course, she, she was eventually a former prostitute, thank you, when she eventually married into and, and, and kind of became a part of the children of Israel. But she's the one that you remember in the story there in Joshua, when Joshua beat the battle of Jer fought the battle of Jericho and the woman that was on the, 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 the gate and her business and occupation. She's in the family line of Messiah? You continue on and you find another woman there. Her name is Tamar. And Tamar dresses like a prostitute to deceive her father-in-law and eventually has a child by him. And she's a part of the family line of the Messiah. You keep going a little bit further and there is a, there is a Moabite who eventually marries Boaz. And an entire book in the Old Testament is dedicated to her. Her name is Ruth. She becomes the great, great, I'm not remembering right now, uh, grandmother of David, who becomes, of course, part of the family line of Jesus. What? What? What are they doing? They're in the family line of Messiah? And then you find, very interestingly, she, her name doesn't even get mentioned. Take a look real quick at verse 6. It simply says, David the king begot Solomon by her, who had been the wife of Uriah. It's as if, it's as, if as Matthew's writing this, he understands how people feel about that story, and he kind of goes, I don't kind of even want to mention her name. You know, the one that David kind of got married to in a kind of weird way, and it was just so embarrassing. Her name doesn't even get a mention. But it's Bathsheba, right? The wife, eventually, of David. 
And so there's some very unusual aspects about this genealogy, but some other things too. If you really just kind of pay close attention, I mean, when you originally read some of the names, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you kind of go, oh yeah, heroes of the faith. These guys were solid, close with God. Yes, we need to be like them. Abraham, the father of the faithful, right? Ah, but if you pay close attention to their lives, even some of the hero, heroic kings that we celebrate, of course, David and Hezekiah and so forth, they made, I mean, terrible mistakes. I mean, lying, cheating, adultery, murder, all kind of terrible mistakes and dysfunction and sin is in the family line of Jesus. And this is the announcement that Jesus wants to make to you today. He's saying to you today that the first coming of Jesus, though they had all kind of expectations of what that first coming of Messiah was supposed to look like, it's an announcement to you that God is with you in spite of a messed up family tree. God is with you in spite of a messed up family tree. I don't know what your family situation may be looking like today, but sometimes we take a look at our families, and let's be honest, we sometimes go, uh, I mean, God, could I have come a little bit differently here? I don't know if you've ever done this particular project like I did when I was in third or fourth grade. In third or fourth grade, I did uh, the family tree project, and now, you know, my wife now, she's doing um, ancestry ancestry, you know, uh, .com, and you can kind of find your, your tree and so forth that way. But I did the, the family tree project where you talk to your parents and you talk to different family members, you get information, you create a family tree. And I'm looking at my family tree and I'm going, oh yeah, there goes grandma, I love her. And oh, there goes grand, grand, grandpa, yeah, oh yeah. And then this person, oh, I didn't know about that person. Okay. Oh, oh, that person. Oh. Oh, and that person did, and that's how, oh. I see. Okay, wow, that, that's interesting. You see, if you've ever done something like that, you kind of go, ooh, I got some amazing people in my family. And of course, we love our family, right? But then there's some other people that may have made some choices, and you go, ooh, ouch. Family reunion time comes around, and you go, ooh, well, it's my family, amen, <laughs> right? And so as they are looking at this family tree of Jesus. They go, yes, Abraham, yes, David, but ooh, prostitute, what, Moabite? This is the family line of the king of Israel? You see, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ in 1991, November, I was excited. It was an evangelistic series. Maybe many of you have had that experience sitting in an evangelistic series and the call comes, you make a decision. And you give your life to Jesus. You surrender. And I did that. See, but when my baptism happened, there was somebody that wasn't present. It was my father. Because when I made the decision to give my life to Jesus, in my family, my, the marriage of my mother and father was coming to an end. And praise God, I love them dearly. You know, my, my, my mother eventually remarried and, and so on. But at the time... That was a rocky situation. You see, when I was giving my life to Jesus and surrendering, my family dynamic was rocky. And Jesus says, look, CJ, I don't care what's going on in your family. I am your father. I am present with you at that baptism. I look down at you and I say, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I'm going to give you a new legacy. I'm going to give you a new history in your family tree. 
You see, when Jesus steps onto the scene of human history, he steps onto the scene of human history, think about it, about over 4,000 years of accumulated sin and dysfunction and mess in the human family. And he looks at the human family, he looks at the line of David, he looks at the line of Abraham, he looks at the children of Israel who had went into exile for unfaithfulness to God, and he says, I'm with you. That's my family. That's who I'm coming through. Oh, the Moabite, the prostitute, yep, that's how I'm coming. Because the human family, with all of its mistakes, all of its sins, I can handle it. Because I'm going to create a new history for humanity. I'm going to be the second Adam. I'm going to give them a new legacy. You see, he says to you today, family, he says, you don't have to repeat the mistakes of your family. You don't have to make the same choices and decisions that your mom did and your dad did and so forth and so on and so forth. Look, we're all broken. But when Jesus enters into your life like he entered into the human stream through this genealogy, he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to make a new legacy for you. I'm going to give you my holy history. I'm going to credit you with my holy life. I'm going to gift you my perfection and holiness and righteousness. That's your history now. That's your legacy now. That's your identity now. And through my grace, I can transform you. You don't have to do the same things that have happened before. But that's not how the story ends. It continues. Now Matthew wants in verse 18. Now he really wants to start to tell you a little bit about this birth of Jesus. He begins to tell you in verse 18. He says this. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed, that's engaged, to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was mindful to put her away secretly. That's code for divorce her privately. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. As I'm reading that, and if I'm kind of trying to empathize here with Joseph, I, I, I'm feeling sorry for Joseph right now. I'm feeling very sorry for Joseph. See, the Bible is, is letting you know Joseph was really a just man. He had a reputation for being just a good guy that wants to do the right thing. He sees this young teenage girl named Mary. They're in a poor village, but he says, look, I want to make a family here. I want to, I want to engage her. I want to propose. And back in the culture of that time, if you proposed to someone, you were considered, though you were engaged, you were considered husband and wife, but you didn't do the deed until after a year. Oh, there's so much beauty right there because when Jesus was talking to the disciples in John chapter 14, he says, I need to go to my father's house, prepare a place for you, and then I will come and receive you to myself. More than likely, that's what Joseph said to Mary because that was keeping with the cultural practice of the time. I engage you, I go prepare a place for you, and then I come back to receive you to myself. And I'm taking you to my father's house because oftentimes when you engage someone, you lived attached to your father's house. You had like a side room. You kind of stayed in, in the family, right? There was people to kind of, help me, Holy Spirit, watch your child, you know? If you had some family you could count on, right? But Joseph's in a, in a dilemma here. Joseph, Joseph hears from Mary, um, I'm showing, I'm, I'm, I'm pregnant. 
And then she spiritualizes it. You know the story, but put yourself in his shoes for a second. And she says, oh, it's of the Holy Spirit. Right. Everybody in Nazareth, it's a small town. Everybody's going to believe that one, Mary. Absolutely. Of course, it was of the Holy Spirit. No, really, Joseph, this is... I, 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 I have not known a man. This, this is really what's going down. And what? Can you imagine the scandal in a small town of a few hundred people that happened when this very visible pregnancy was taking place before they came together? Joseph is in a dilemma. He's considering divorce at this point. He's saying, look, you know, I, I think I need to kind of just on the hush on the side, just kind of end this thing and move on. And of course, an angel comes to Joseph in a dream and says, look, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. You see, this was a difficult situation. This was an impossible situation. This was not how he was expecting, nor Mary was expecting Messiah to come. Of course, they weren't thinking in their mind, Isaiah 9, and the government shall be upon his shoulders and he shall be, right? Unto us a child is born, born of a virgin. They weren't, they weren't thinking about that at the time. They're like, we're in Nazareth. This is the hood. This is poor, low income Messiah. What? Here? And here's what the unexpected advent or arrival of Emmanuel is telling you, that God is with you even in difficult situations. It's not impossible for him. As a matter of fact, that is what the angel Gabriel told Mary in Luke chapter 1. He says to her, look, when she's kind of wondering, look, how in the world is this going to happen? You know, I've never known a man, and what, the Messiah is going to be born of me? He says, look, with God, nothing is impossible. It just seems impossible to you. You're finite. You only see things from a certain perspective. But with God, there is nothing that can be impossible. And he says to you today, it doesn't matter what you're going through. God looks at your situation. He says, I'm with you. And he says, I am going to take that impossible situation and I'm going to make it possible. Because I am with you. It's not about you and your skills and your ability to fix situations. I'm your God. I'm your dad. You think I'm going to let situations, uh, according to my will, just happen to you? No. I'm going to take what looks difficult. I'm going to take what looks impossible. And I'm going to make a way. God moving them from Nazareth, where all the drama and scandal and gossip and talking was going on, fulfilling prophecy, moves them to Bethlehem. You know how we sing, old little town of Bethlehem, all quiet, right? Nobody in Bethlehem knew anything about the scandal. He moves them away from the drama and he places them somewhere for the next maybe two years because when Herod comes eventually to kill Jesus, two years and under, was the decree, right? And so you see what God is doing? He's, he's moving them out of a tense situation. God can move you out of your tense situation to fulfill his plan for your life. God is with you. He says, do not be afraid. In the Bible, do you know that there is, for every book of the Bible, there is over 365 promises. It says, do not be afraid or fear not. And usually followed up with, because I'm with you. I think God's trying to say something to us, right? You can have a fear not phrase from the Bible for every day of the year. He's trying to get something across to us, isn't he? Fear not. But look, that's not the only thing that he says as we close. Praise team may want to start to get ready. But in verse 21 says something that I think Joseph probably as he heard this went, what? Verse 21, he says this, and she shall bring forth a son. Now watch this. And you shall call his name what? Jesus. 
or in the Hebrew, Yeshua, right? In Greek, that was pronounced or said as Jesus, okay? For he will save his people from their sins. So although, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. There's something here. There's two names given to Jesus. And you need to understand what's happening here because I think Joseph, you see, you got to understand that they were really, again, there was their, they had their own expectations of what Messiah was supposed to be like and how he was supposed to come and what he was supposed to do. You see, they wanted a Messiah at that time because they were oppressed by the Romans. They wanted a Messiah to come and get the Romans off their back. They were tired of being oppressed. And so they wanted a king that would save them not from their sins. They wanted a king to save them from political oppression. Establish and make Israel great again. Get the Romans off of our backs. Elevate us to international greatness. We want to rule the Gentiles and subject them. We want to be great, and we want a great Messiah, king, with an, with an army, with force, and with might, and with power. But the angel says something different to Joseph. He says, Jesus, which is the name you should call him, he's going to save your people. He doesn't say the Romans. He's going to save you from your real oppressor, your sin. You see... This, this unexpected arrival of Emmanuel, God with us, is an announcement. Emmanuel, God with us, is an announcement that God is with you to save you. That's the most important aspect of the witness of God here. God is with you to save you. That's the most important thing he needs to accomplish in your life. He is with you to save you. Did you know that the name Jesus actually means the Lord or Yahweh saves? Jesus means the Lord saves. So his name, which in the Old Testament, by the way, if you're reading, is Joshua. Right? Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho and establishing uh, the kingdom and distributing it by lot to the tribes, right? He's the Old Testament figure of Jesus coming to save his people and bring us into Canaan. So he's come to save his people. But he's come to save them from their sins. You know, I, I used an analogy last time I preached about the, uh, the airplane. And back in March when we did the series, I did an ser analogy about salvation. I, used the, I talked about the elevator. I'm going to give you a third analogy of how Jesus is saving you from your sins. Okay, watch this. It, it, it's, very much like, it's very much like a class. It's very much like a class. You see, when you're in, when you're in a class, when you're in a class, Many times, like me, you go, if you're in school, and you go to take a class, and the class is a subject that you're very intimidated by. You see? And for me, I don't know why, but I struggled with college algebra. I don't know if I can get a witness for anybody that struggled. Everybody here is just a math expert and scholar. Okay, maybe some people. Okay. Well, for me, I took it three times, and when I took it the third time and got a C, I called my family. I said, thank you, Jesus! And I kept it moving. Right, because I, I was okay with the others, but that one for some reason. Well, anyway, imagine you're about to enter into a class that is intimidating for you. 
But the moment you come in, just like the other students that come into this class, the teacher, watch this, the teacher says to you, it's the first day of the class, you're intimidated, you're nervous, you've got all kind of anxiety and worry and fear, but that teacher says to you, you have an A. Right off the bat, right? And by the way, I'm going to ask my, my young deacons to be in position at this point. You, you have the A, it's yours, it's yours. You don't have to worry, you don't have any anxiety about whether or not you're going to get an A at the end of this course. You have the A. So th th there should be no fear about whether I'm going to pass this class or whether I'm going to get the A. You have it. It's been promised, the teacher is telling you, you have an A. I'm good for my word, okay? But you will lose that A if you choose to leave the class, mm -hmm. if you drop the class, right? You have to stay in the class so that you can get that A that I promised you. But you have the A. Now, as you stay in the class, I'm going to tutor you. I'm going to come alongside you. And when we're done with this class, you're going to know the material. I promise you that. And so, 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 so you start this, this, this class, and, and you have this, here's the word, you have this assurance that you've got your A. And, and that assurance, that confidence is being built and strengthened because that same teacher that promised you the A is now tutoring you and you're getting frustrated along the way. You're making, watch this, you're making mistakes as you're in the course. You know, you're still trying to, you're trying to get the material, but uh, you, you make a mistake here and there and she just keeps coming or he just keeps coming right alongside you and says, that's all right, don't worry about that mistake. Stay with me, stay in this class, don't get discouraged. We are going to do this. But the entire time, you have the assurance of an A. Family, Jesus is the teacher in the class. Your life is the class. It's the course. You say, Jesus, I give my life to you. And he says, good, great. You surrender to me. You receive the gospel. You receive what I did for you on the cross. You are saved. You have the assurance right now that you are saved. Stay in the course with me. Stay in the relationship with me. Let every aspect of your life be surrendered to me. And guess what? I'm going to be right there with you through the Holy Spirit. And yes, you may stumble along the way. But are you still in the class? Yes. Do you still have the A? Yes, somebody. Jesus says you have the A if you just stay with me on this course. I guarantee you I'm going to complete the work that I've begun in you. Do you trust me? He came to save his people from their sins. But he gives him another, another name. He says, Emmanuel, God with us. You see, as I began, Jesus was closer than they thought. The one that came to save them from their sins. The one that was, the one that was going to fulfill all the old covenant uh, promises. He was now an embryo in a womb in Bethlehem, fulfilling prophecy. God was with them, and they had no idea. Could God be closer to your situation than you think? When you feel like God isn't there, could he be maybe right there with you? Like that tutor? Don't worry, I got you. Would you stay with me? Stay in this course, stay in this relationship with me. You got the A, we're gonna get to the finish line. Don't give up. Stay with me. Because I'm closer than you think.
I'm in that situation and I'm working it out. I am with you. If you say right now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you say right now, I came today with a heavy heart. I didn't know if you were with me in my situation, Lord. I've got a family situation I'm dealing with. And I didn't really have that assurance of my salvation. God, I thank you. And I, I, and I want to receive you today. I want to respond to you today. Is that you? As my junior deacons are in position right now, is there anybody that wants to raise your hand? We have something we want to just give you. But if you want to raise your hand right now, there's one person right here. Is there anybody else that wants to raise your hand? I, I want to respond to you today, Jesus. I want to give you my life for the first time, maybe. I want to recommit myself to you. Is that you, even in the balcony? Is that you? You want to raise your hand right now as we're about to pray and you just say, Jesus, I want to respond to a God that's with me. I didn't realize that you were that close. We have some. We have one right here, please. We have two right there. There's another one right here, please. Is there anyone else that says, I want to respond to Emmanuel? My family situation is is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. But God's with you to give you a new legacy, a new history. Is there anyone else? You're in a difficult situation like Joseph. You don't know how you're going to get out of it. And the same Jesus, God with us. God with us. He's there. He's there. He's with you. And then he's here to save you from your sins. You want to respond to a saving God, a God that loves you, wants to give you his grace. He says, stay in the course. You have the A. Is that you? You want to respond to the gift of grace that he gives. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want, to, I want to invite those of you also right now to stand. If you're here and you just say, yes, Jesus, I receive you afresh. Just if you're here, if you want to stand, everybody right now and say, I want to sing to this God who is with me. And I invite everybody to stand at this time. Praise the Lord. I invite everyone to pray with me at this time. Father in heaven, as we get ready to sing to you, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to never forget that you are with us and you love us. You're going you're to complete the work that you've begun. But may we know right now that you're with us now. Not just in the future when you come again. Right now in our pew, in our hearts. And you'll continue to be with us. That's the promise. That's what Matthew 1 is about. You are with us closer than we think. Thank you for listening to Living for Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend His reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, 
then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on, and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.